Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how David was greatly distressed and how during desperate times, he encouraged himself in the Lord. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Deuteronomy 25, 16 through 19, where Moses says, For all that do such things and all that do unrighteously are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindermost of thee, even all that were feeble behind thee when thou wast faint and weary and he feared not God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord thy God have given thee rest from all thine enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. This was a people. This was a people. They had watched the Jewish people as they made their procession, their procession walk. They were going out of Egypt. And it says that the Jewish people at this time, they were faint and they were weary. They were tired. It had been a long walk out of Egypt with a lot of drama. And the Jewish people were just worn out. And they were walking. Some that were more feeble, that were more weak. Who was more feeble and more weak? That would be the old, the infirm, the sick, the children. And they kind of dropped back to what area in the procession called in the Bible the hindermost. In other words, the end of the line. And what it says is that this was such a bloodthirsty people. These were not warriors, but these were the ones that they just came and murdered them. They were a people that had a philosophy, there is no God, there is no retribution, there is no judgment. I can do what I very well please, and I please to be bloodthirsty and a murderous. And so God had said previously to Abraham, said, your people are going to be in the land of Egypt for 400 years. During those 400 years' time, this is a time when the cup of iniquity will be filling up for the Amalekites. The cup of the iniquity of the Amalekites, it will be full after 400 years. They will have done so many murders and so many horrible, wicked things that God was then going to use the Jewish people to bring judgment on them. And so when the Jewish people heard the Amalekites, I should say when David and his 600 men heard of the Amalekites, this was a bloodthirsty people who loves to kill. And they knew that the prophet, when Samuel had anointed or commissioned Saul to be king over Israel, he told him specifically in 1 Samuel 15, 1 through 3, Samuel also said unto Saul, the Lord sent me to be king over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came out from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and women, infant and suckling, ox and sheep and camel and ass. They knew also that Saul had refused that command which he received at his anointing ceremony to be king and said, save the best. And they knew that the Amalekites then had been left infuriated by the Jewish people because he did destroy many of them. And they were, these bloodthirsty people were left to go by Saul and they were infuriated. And now we have an angry, murderous people. Verse two 
of 1 Samuel 30 explains the Amalekites had a certain evil interest, and that's why their interest is really identified for us in verse 2 when it says, uh, 1 Samuel 32, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. They were interested in horribly abusing the women first before they killed them all. And David and his men, they didn't know that they hadn't killed anybody at this point. So the last two words of verse 3 tell us how the hearts of David and his men sank when they didn't find their families. That's what it says in 1 Samuel 33. And all they knew is that this murderous, bloodthirsty people who have no fear of God had taken captives, their families, and they could only imagine what they were going to do with them says that David 600 and David cried so loud and so long that they exhausted themselves to the point that they didn't have any more strength to cry anymore. And verse 5 tells us the particular distress for David. In verse 5, And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Zerzulitis and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And then if you notice verse 6, it says, And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. It says that David at this point was greatly distressed. That's an interesting word. It's the word yatsar. We've seen it before. We saw it from Genesis 1 when it said, In God formed man, he yatsarred man out of the dust of the earth. We saw it in Isaiah where God said to Jacob, I formed you in the womb. David was greatly squeezed. He was greatly put under pressure. He was squeezed so hard by this trouble and put under so much pressure that his life just seemed to be becoming squeezed out of him. He might even say, I can't breathe. I'm under such pressure, such intense squeezing that it's actually keeping me from breathing. You ever felt that way? And it says that the people were grieved. That's not the word yetzar. That's a different word. That's the word marar. That word means they were bitter. You remember when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they were so thirsty and they came to that pool and they found that it was marar, they called it the pool of marar, it was bitter, it was poisoned water, we don't know what it was, maybe it was something similar to the Dead Sea, just so intensely contaminated with salt that it was bitter, who knows, but it was bitter and that's the word that they used here when it says they were grieved, they were bitter, they were poisoned in their soul. There was no sweetness. It was only a bitterness. And the bitterness caused them to now blame and now criticize and even to the point of wanting to kill David. They were in that state of bitterness. They saw David now. David, he's our leader. David, he's the one who's responsible for all this. And so after they're crying and they're mourning and they didn't have any more strength to cry and mourn anymore, now they come to anger. Their emotions now switch from sadness to anger and blaming. After all, why didn't David, our leader, realize the danger of the Amalekites, especially since Saul had already pillaged them? After all, Wasn't it David who caused us to desert our guard posts 
for our family, to go lead us on a folly, only so that we could find that they refused us and sent us home. And because of this folly that our leader David led us into, he's to blame for why we don't have our wives and our families now. After all, we are 600 men. What would have been so terrible if 200 of us would have stayed behind to guard our wives and our families? Why did we have to leave with all 600? Wasn't it our leader, David, who told us that we had to leave? And so not only they were asking themselves these questions, you can be sure that David also is asking himself these very same questions. So David is blaming himself. David is discouraging himself. Now that's a picture of the kind of discouragement that we're talking about. There was no person to encourage David, not even himself. It's the perfect scenario to ask for our original question of what do we do when we are so discouraged and there's no one to encourage us. There's everyone to discourage us, just like Pharaoh and the Egyptians. There was no Egyptian to encourage the Jewish people. David's wives might have encouraged him, but they were gone. They weren't there. There was no one to encourage David. What do you do, David, when you're in a situation like that and there's no one to encourage you? What did David do when he was there with no one to encourage him, everyone discouraging him? That's where 1 Samuel 36, those last words are so important. David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Question for us is, what's the secret of rising up out of discouragement, depression, and disheartenedness, a weakness? What's the secret? What's the solution? Now, that's our question. When there's no one to encourage us, we're at rock bottom. How do we do what David did here, encouraged himself in the Lord his God? When a Christian or follower of the Lord Jesus Christ encourages himself in the Lord his God, he does something very, very unique that a person who is not a Christian has no ability to do. When a Christian encourages himself in the Lord his God, is when a Christian is in the lowest times of his life and he reaches down and from there he draws on an unseen resource. He reaches way down and he finds support when he feels like he's just being blown around from one trouble to the other, like what happened in the case of Job when he just got one bad report after another. So first of all, we need to see that to encourage ourselves in the Lord It's essential to not overlook the last two words of verse 6, which is most commonly overlooked. His God. Those are two very, very important words not to be missed because David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. Only a person who knows the Lord Jesus Christ as his God has the ability to encourage himself in the Lord Jesus Christ because we know The Lord Jesus Christ is our God. We have very, very specific knowledge of him, not just as God, but as our God. We know that when there is darkness, it was the Lord Jesus Christ who we know, and we hear his words when he spoke in John 8, 12, when he said, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. 
He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Life deals a lot of punches to us. Life deals a lot of unknown troubles. But this is not the life in general. This is the life that includes the unknown punches, that includes the getting knocked for loops. And so he's saying that a person who follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have in his life the light of life. And we know it's the Lord Jesus Christ who was the God who spoke in Genesis 1, 2 through 3, when he said, and the world was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the earth, and the Spirit of God hovered upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. We know who that God is. We who know, who have the Lord Jesus Christ as our God, know that it was the Lord Jesus Christ, our God, who said, let there be light and there was light. So we encourage ourselves in the Lord, our God, when we are in a great darkness and we intentionally know, we intentionally reflect on, we intentionally consider the fact that he specializes in bringing light into darkness. He specializes in bringing light into darkness. We know that, not just those are words, but we know that for personal experience. And we encourage ourselves in the Lord our God when we bring to the fore of our mind the experiences where we have seen him bring light into darkness. When we're confronted with death, death is a dark time. But we know it's the Lord Jesus Christ, our God, who spoke in John eleven twenty five 25 when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. He said in John 6, 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So we encourage ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Lord our God, when we are confronted with death and we intentionally reflect, we intentionally bring to our knowledge the fact that he specializes in bringing life out of death, as he did in the case of Lazarus, as he did in the case of the boy that he raised from the dead, as he did in the case of every believer who he says, I will raise him from the dead. Why does he say, I will raise him from the dead? Because he specializes in bringing life out of death. And when we bring that to our mind, when we intentionally reflect on it, intentionally consider it, and realize that's the Lord our God, we encourage ourselves in the Lord. When there is great trouble in our lives, we think that it was the Lord Jesus Christ who with that storm of Mark 4:39 where it says and he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm so we encourage ourselves in the Lord our God when we are confronted with trouble the kind of trouble that threatens us like we were in a little boat in the midst of a lake where Waves are are coming over the side and we're in danger of sinking. When we're confronted with that measure, that degree of trouble, and we intentionally reflect on the fact that he specializes in bringing peace out of turmoil. He specializes in bringing peace out of trouble. And that's when we encourage ourselves in the Lord our God, when we use the muscle of intention 
to push through the darkness with the knowledge that our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, specializes in making good come out of evil. We encourage ourselves in the Lord when we use the muscle of intention to push out hopelessness, to push out doubt with the knowledge that he will as he does because he specializes in making a present trouble end well. We encourage ourselves in the Lord our God when we intentionally think that God's way, his normal way, is to bring a person down before he brings them up. We see that over and over again in the scriptures. And so when we see ourselves going down into the trouble, we encourage ourselves in the Lord our God, realizing he specializes in lifting those up and out. That's why David said in Psalm 56.3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. That's what he said. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Trust is faith. And faith is not faith when you can see the outcome. Faith starts when you are at your wit's end. When you and I have come to our wit's end, faith starts. When so much trouble comes our way, And we come to the end of being able to help ourselves. We don't see how we can help ourselves. We're at the end of helping ourselves. When we come to the end of what we can do for ourselves, we have just arrived at the beginning of what God can do for us. So to summarize, what does it mean to encourage ourselves in the Lord our God? It means to remind ourselves and to declare to ourselves and to affirm in ourselves the character of God, who we know is the Lord our God, so we can say the character of our God, the character of the Lord Jesus Christ, our God. As it says in Psalm 107, verses 1 and 2, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, For his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. The first person we need to say so to is ourselves. We affirm that the Lord Jesus Christ is good. We affirm that. He is good. He is powerful. He is in control of all things. And he is just plain simply good just that simple. He is good, and we declare that to ourselves. We affirm that he takes care of his people. People who serve him, the people who trust him, he takes care of them, even though we go through temporary times of trouble. But those temporary times have great value to us, because in Romans 8, 28, it's a very important word when it says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. From what we've been saying today, we could add one additional word to that verse, and that would be the word intentionally before the word know. We could say, and we intentionally know, as opposed to we passively know. We academically know. We remember having been taught in Sunday school, no. We know because we remember that that's Romans 8, 28. No, no, no. When you put in that word intentionally know, everything changes because now you use the muscle of intention to know. 
you purposefully reflect on, you purposefully consider, we purposefully bring to our knowledge and say we intentionally, with the muscle of intention, pushing out the darkness of doubt, pushing out the hopelessness, and we say we intentionally know and affirm that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Is it easy to encourage ourselves in the Lord our God? No. That's why we're talking about the muscle of intention. It's not easy, but it's the only way to go on. And it's a powerful, powerful remedy against discouragement, a powerful one. Now, we come back to Exodus 1 and verse 11. We see how Pharaoh used the tactic of discouragement and the strategy to build those cities. Verse 10, he called it dealing wisely. Why was it dealing wisely? Because it was effective. He knew how effective discouragement is. So does the devil. So does the enemy of our souls. Know how effective discouragement is. But in verse 12, it says, But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. So, what does this mean? This means that Pharaoh's strategy, Pharaoh's goal, Pharaoh's tactic didn't work. Why didn't it work? Because he didn't reckon on, he didn't figure on the God of encouragement and the fact that God has given this history here as an example to teach us that he is the God of encouragement. And when we set ourselves to encourage ourselves in the Lord our God, we will be successful because he wants us to. And that's the pattern that he's provided for us in this passage. The more we run into trouble, the more we run to the Lord Jesus Christ, the more we find out how great and good he is and the help that we need, and the more we come to know him personally. It's the times when people were really in the thick of it, they were really in time of their greatest trouble in their lives, that you might say the foxholes of their lives, that they found God. They knew, they learned about God. And that's why God would oftentimes refer to himself as, I am the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And when he said, I'm the God that brought you out of the land of Egypt, he would only think of, oh, Egypt. So many memories come back of all the troubles. It was one pseudos after another, one trouble after another. There was the Red Sea trouble. There was the trouble of the smoking of the Sinai. There was the trouble... Oh, there was troubles and troubles, the trouble of no food, the trouble of et cetera, et cetera. And all the troubles, but he said, I am the Lord God that brought you out. And he wasn't just talking about that one little march to the Red Sea, but the whole process for the 30 years was the bringing out of them out of Egypt and bringing the Egypt out of them. And he said, I'm the God that brought you out of that so that we'd remember, they would remember, I know who you are. You are the great I am. And that's not just philosophical, that's practical. And that's what he did. Now, Pharaoh, he was down the wrong road. He was down the wrong road. Why? Because the wisdom, as we've mentioned, the wisdom and the understanding and the counsel of God, he had given to Abraham that he was going to make him a great nation. And Pharaoh decided to go against that. And what the Bible says in Proverbs 21:30 is in a lesson for us, there's no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. And so what we've seen here today in our study is a marvelous passage of how God is so good, so faithful, so encouraging. He wants us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ to do exactly the opposite of what Pharaoh did, and that is to encourage, to put heart into, to put passion into, to enhearten, encourage those all around us. 
and to realize that when there's nobody to encourage us in those times of life, when everybody is discouraging us, that's the time when God wants us to encourage ourselves in the Lord our God by using the muscle of intention to intentionally know the truth that God is good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage of Scripture and how it does teach us so much about you, how good you are, how encouraging you are. Help us, Lord, to strengthen our muscle of intentional knowledge to be able to encourage ourselves in the Lord our God and to encourage others as well. We thank you for teaching us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you have a lost Jewish friend, neighbor, coworker, relative, or even a Gentile friend that you want to reach with the gospel? Israel Restoration Ministries can help you do that with a Tom Cantor testimony DVD and booklet that has gone into millions and millions of people's hands around the world. You too can own a copy of this. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. This is a wonderful testimony of Tom Cantor and his life story. So get a hold of a copy today and give it to a lost friend that you know of, especially a lost Jewish person if you know of one. We'd like to help you with that today. Call us, 1-800-247-3051. You can also call us to obtain a copy of this month's resource, which is the wonderfully acclaimed book by Tom Cantor called Understanding the Jewish Messiah and the History and Future of the Jewish People as Seen Through the Life of Joseph. This is a past, present, and future view of the Jewish people as seen in the life of Joseph and as foretold in the Hebrew Scriptures. You're going to want to get this expository book from Tom Cantor. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org to learn more. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week at the same time.